falling apart here. <laughs> Get myself put together. Oh, good to see everybody again today. Of course, I've already been up once here in Colonial Heights, but saying good morning to our Midlothian campus and all those watching online. Want to remind y'all of Samaritan's Purse, our Operation Christmas Child. We had, we've given out most, but uh, we had about a thousand of these boxes and uh, you open it up, all the instructions are inside and you pick a child that you want to buy a Christmas gift for, male or female, age group. Uh, and then there's actually a way to track it so that you find out where in the world it goes and, and what child gets it. And so it's pretty cool, but a way of, of blessing children around the world this Christmas. And as I explained before, it really opens doors uh, for our, our missionaries and people on the field who are doing the work of ministry and the gospel. So it, uh, it really helps them. So you're, you're doing a lot of things in this very simple Christmas gift. I, I probably takes $20, $30, roughly that, uh, to fill up one of these boxes. And uh, great, great gift, great ministry to do this Christmas. So on your way out, be sure and get those. And want to remind you, next Sunday, we've got a, just a great time of worship plan. We'll have kind of a, a that, that'll be a unique out there to our Midlothian campus. You'll be doing your thing out there us here, all of it's going to be around God's faithfulness. Uh, our, our choir and little pieces of our orchestra will be presenting a, a concert. And uh, as they do that, weaving through that, uh, I'll be bringing, we'll be bringing a couple little sermonettes and, and times of prayer uh, as we move on into the election that, that week. But just a great time of worship. And with all that's going on in America, don't, don't we need to know God is faithful? I don't know about y'all, I'm, my list of stuff I'm really getting tired of being canceled is getting long. And I'm getting cranky. That's the best word I can come up with right now, but God is, God is faithful. And uh, one of the greatest acts of God's faithfulness, folks, is to provide for us a heaven. That's what makes all this, uh, we, we, we can endure is Heaven. Would you turn with me today to Revelation chapter 21? Revelation, boy, we're getting to the end. Revelation chapter 21. And you know, this chapter is going to present, I don't know what quite the right word is, one dimensional? Kind of one dimension, one aspect of heaven. You know, there's a lot of questions we have about heaven. There's a lot of things we want to know about heaven. You know, maybe the most important thing we can know about heaven is, will my pet be there, right? I mean, for someone who's not sure if it's heaven without spot. Uh, but, we, you know, will my pet be there? How old will I be? Uh, what, what will I be doing? Do, do we work? I mean, there's just all kinds of questions that, that weigh on us about heaven. And I won't be answering any of those today. Praise the Lord. Uh, that's not what we're going to be looking at. Uh, Revelation 21 is not looking at all of these different things. I would describe it as we're going to crack the door open. We're going to look inside of heaven and we're just going to see what we see. We're going to see what is there as far as a, and here's my operative word this morning, a physical structure. What does heaven physically look like? You know, you and I think in, in physical terms. If I were to ask you, uh, hey, what, what, what to you is a beautiful spot on the earth? 
You know, right now, something coming to your mind. More than likely, somewhere you've been, right? I mean, you may be drawing from, uh, you know, an, an article, an idea, a picture in a magazine or online. But most of us, a real beautiful spot, we've, we've got a place in mind. For me, it's the mountains. And it's not just any mountain or just a, a vague mountain out there in the distance. It's a very specific mountain and mountains. And I, I have smells that go with that. And I know what the I know what the ground and the trail feels like. I know what it looks like, what it smells like. I mean, very vivid images come into my mind when I think of a beautiful place, or or when you say mountain. How about how about this word, luxury? What what comes to your mind when you think of luxury? Maybe a real nice car you can never afford. Maybe uh, fine dining, right? You hear the word luxury? Maybe you think of fine dining or one of those fancy five-star hotels downtown. What, what comes into your mind when you think of luxury? Now, here's the funny thing. When we say a beautiful spot or we say luxury, different things are going to come into all of our minds. There'll be some similarities, right? But we're all going to have a little bit different idea, a little bit different image about what is a beautiful place on earth or what is luxury. But here's where all of the things that come to our mind are exactly the same. Whatever just comes to your mind when I call those words out is real. Right? It's real. It's a real physical thing. It is a real physical experience because we're physical people. And God made us in a physical world, and that's how we're going to understand. That's how we're going to enjoy something. And folks, heaven, Revelation 21, is described in real physical terms. And I don't know what it is that gives you and I the ability to open God's Word, read it, close it, and just completely forget what we just read Never pay a lick of attention to what we just read and, and totally miss it. Because the average Christian, maybe in this room right here, when I say the word heaven, absolutely nothing physical comes to your mind. As a matter of fact, for most believers, heaven is a light, a bright light. It's, it's clouds. I think there's harps up there. And you think of heaven, you can't, you can't quite touch it. You can't quite grasp it. And the problem with that is, is God has given heaven to you and me to get through the worst times on this planet. He has given heaven to you and me to endure and to be motivated and to find hope. And guess what? It's hard to put hope in something I don't understand. It's hard to put hope into something I can't quite touch. So we might think, well, God, you need to do a little better than that. But then I open Revelation 21 and go, oh, you did. Well, why is it? We, I'm, I'm, I don't know across the room what it would be or watching online. But I'm guessing most of us have read Revelation 21 somewhere in our life. You may right now not even be sure if you have. We'll start reading. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. I, I've read that. And yet we just ignore it. We ignore what a real and physical place this is. So when we read this, let's take it for what's being said. Let's take it at face value. God has a very real and physical place for you and I to draw hope from. Amen? 
Amen. Let's look at this. Revelation 21. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. I normally read from the English Standard Version. Usually when I have verses on the screen, that's from the ESV, the English Standard Version. But today I'm reading from uh, the New Living because uh, it's a long reading and it just is easier to keep up with when you're just listening. It's just an easier... Same word, same idea, nothing changed, not a different Bible. It's just a little bit easier to listen to. Plus, I like the New Living Translation. It does something that most other translations do. It translates the measurements. And we're going to hear some crazy measurements in this. And so when your trans almost doesn't even matter what translation you're working from, you're going to see that there's stadia. And none of us knows what a stadia is. But this, this translation will go ahead and put it in feet and miles because that's what we understand, right? So reading from the New Living today, New Living Translation, I begin in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. We'll come back to that, because I know for a lot of you, if there's no beach in heaven, it's not heaven, right? See, I'm a mountain person. I, I, I don't care. That's fine. No sea. Don't need it. But we'll come back. We'll come back to that. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. How about an amen? All that stuff that makes you cry, gone. All that stuff that makes you hurt, gone. Verse 5, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. This heaven... This life is open to all. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. It's open to everybody. Nobody is excluded from the offer. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars. I love this list because us, you know, us good church folk, we don't do anything wrong. And, uh, you know, you can, well, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. And then it says liars and whoops, it just got the rest of us. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls containing the seven last plagues came and said to me, come with me and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. When he measured it, he found it as square as as 
He found it a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Yeah, it's it's going to be a little bit hard to grasp this, isn't it? 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. Usually build walls with kind of old, big, ugly rocks. No, these walls are built with jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, chrysoprase, jacinth, and amethyst. How'd you like to chip away at that wall a little bit, huh? The 12 gates were made of pearls. Each gate... From a single pearl. I'd like to see that oyster. And the main street was pure gold as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. There's that word again, just kind of scoops us all up. No, no, but no, no dishonest person is entering this gate, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we just saw a whole lot in what I just read, but we're going to put it in four categories, four things that we see in heaven. And just as I'm going through number one, and you don't get scared that we're going to be here till dinner time. I'm going to take as much time on number one as I'm going to take on two, three, and four added up, okay? So don't, don't, don't look at your watch when I'm still on number one, okay? We'll get there. So what do we see in heaven? Well, the first thing we see is new. It is a new heaven and a new earth. And you know, when you make a move from one place to another, from an old car to a new car, from an old house to a new house, usually what you're going to quickly identify is what's, what's different, right? I, I know what's on the earth. I know what's in the heavens, but this is a new heaven and a new earth. So are, are there any differences? Well, right away, God tells us something that is different. There's no sea. There's no sea. No, no, wait a minute. Think about that. That's not a little difference. Three-fourths of our planet is covered by water. And, and now you're saying there's no sea, large bodies of water. There's no sea. There's no, no ocean. I don't think this would include lakes and streams. We know there's a, a river that runs through the middle of the city of God. So I don't think it would include those smaller bodies, but those big bodies. Now, here's where I'm a little confused, and I'm not sure where I land. I take everything in this passage as literal, and I think that's how you should take it. We should take this as a literal description. This is exactly what we are going to see. But when it comes to the sea, 
I believe there is a chance John could be writing what God has shown him. John could be writing something to communicate something that's not going to communicate well for you and me. Because you see, when, when I say sea or ocean, you and I have, again, some very vivid images that come to our mind. We're out there fishing, deep blue sea. And if we're out fishing in the deep sea, sea we're probably throwing up also because we're not all sea people. And uh, maybe it's at the beach. Maybe it's at the seafood restaurant. But a lot of very positive, good images come to our mind when I say sea or ocean, right? Maybe it was that cruise that we took. Okay, well, none of the positive images that you and I have would come to anybody's mind when this was being written or the thousands of years prior. They didn't know how to swim. Very few would ever get on a boat. And when they looked out at the sea, what that was for literally almost all of humanity, that was a place of chaos and confusion. That, that would be the primary way every human being on earth would have thought about that big body of water out there. That is chaos and confusion. It's dark. You don't want to go there. Okay? You go back to Genesis chapter 1. And you see God begin to create a new heaven and a new earth that's now being referred to as the old heaven and the old earth. And the Spirit of God is hovering over chaos and confusion. And God brings something new. God brings order and, and, and peace and design to the chaos and confusion. And so while I'm taking almost everything literal in this passage, I wonder if that is meant to be taken in more of a symbolic way. In other words, when you think of the old heaven and the old earth, you think of chaos and confusion. You and I are going to go out into the world this week and we are going to fight chaos and confusion. For some of us, it'll be a very personal fight. In some of us, our whole family is doing this. For some of us, our family is the chaos and confusion, right? Okay, we're, we're dealing with chaos and confusion everywhere we go. And God says, no, 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 not in the new heaven and new earth. There's no chaos and confusion in the new heaven and new earth. Or there's going to be no beaches. Either way, I'm okay. The second thing that we're not going to see in the new heaven and the new earth is the celestial bodies, primarily the sun and the moon. Now, it does not say there is no sun and moon. It says there's no need for them. They, they are irrelevant, and they're irrelevant because of the glory of God. And if I would have remembered to bring my flashlight this morning, which I really meant to do, I know right where it's sitting at home. But right now, I would pull out my flashlight, and I would turn it on, and y'all can probably imagine it, can't you? I mean, in, in this amount of lighting, in this size room, if I turn on my little pin flashlight, you'd see the light, right? You'd know whether it was off or on, but it would be what in this room? Irrelevant. I mean, yeah, there's a light there, but it, and imagine taking this outside on a really bright sunny day, which today would not serve that purpose. But if it was a really bright sunny day, again, I would imagine if you were a hundred yards away and I turned it on, there we go, we got one over there. Thank you, Chris. Uh, you would see that it, oh, I should have brought my phone. That's right, it has a flashlight on it. Uh, you would see that it was on, but it's just, it's irrelevant. Folks, imagine me here holding a little pin flashlight. That's what our sun is in God's glory. 
If you're trying to grasp and understand, what does it say that God's glory runs this place? God's glory radiates. The the new heaven and the new earth runs off of God's glory. Well, it makes our sun absolutely irrelevant. That's what it's like to be in the presence of God's glory. So there's, there's no chaos and confusion or there's no beach. I'll be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure which it is. There's also no, the, the way, I mean, think about it. You don't have a day or a night in which the sun and the moon is not governing that. And, and so in the, in the new heaven and new earth, we maybe don't have a beach. We certainly don't have chaos and confusion. And we don't have these celestial bodies governing everything. But after that, after we now know what's not there, everything you love about this old earth is going to be there. All the things that are a part of this creation are going to be there. You say, how do you know that? It didn't say anything about deserts or Grand Canyons or any, anything like that. How do you know it's there? Because, folks, God's a communicator. And he knows an image comes into your mind when he says heaven and when he says earth. Real things come into Listen, if I want you thinking about an airplane right now, I'm not going to say the word car. Why? Because if I say car, an airplane doesn't come to your mind. There are things I want you to know and understand. And for you to know and understand that, I need everybody thinking about a car. So I'm not, wait a minute, did I just switch? Car, I forgot which one I'm wanting you to think about. But you know what I'm saying here. Folks, God wants us to understand something about heaven. So he tells us what's not there. And then he says, earth. And everything that would come to your mind is going to be there. Remember, we also have a glimpse of heaven on the other end of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. We have in God's idea what a perfect place looks like before we touched it with sin. But, but we know that, that that's there. So God's a communicator. He says earth. He knows images come to your mind. He tells you what not images to have come to your mind. But then other than that... That's what we begin to think about. He also uses the word city here, doesn't he? He talks about this new city that is coming to us. Hey, what comes to your mind when you hear the word city? Again, probably different things come to our mind. For me, I think of, I think of arts. I mean, don't you go to a big city, you always go to a museum. I mean, whether you like going to a museum or not, you go see, you go to the museum. You know, when you think of a city, you think of arts, entertainment, sports, big buildings, Masses of people, business, productivity, yes, all of that's going to be in heaven. And that's what I would describe, what I just did there is what I would call scriptural imagination. I'm starting with scripture and then extrapolating a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm going out a little bit from there. But here again, God uses the word city He knows that every single one of us has seen a city, walked through a city, has had an experience with a city, and he wants you to understand what's going to be there. And there's no reason to believe that, are we going to watch sports and paint and do What Make a case that we wouldn't. What, what, What passage would you go to that says we don't do anything in heaven except float? That's not there. Again, go back to a perfect world, Genesis 1 and 2. What does God say? Work the garden. Folks, God God gives purpose. God gives reasons for getting up and going and, and heading out today. And when you go to a city, things come to your mind. And God didn't say, oh, no, 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 don't think of that. That won't be in this city. 
No, everything you would think of. Well, I mean, not rats and garbage and crime and traffic. That won't be there, right? But that's not me just making that up. We just saw in this passage. No, there's some bad things that won't be there. And crime won't be there. Traffic won't be there because traffic makes you cuss and that's not good. So that won't be there, right? Okay, so listen, read it for what it says. Now, a lot of this passage... A lot of this passage is not about everything we might see in heaven. It is about this new Jerusalem, right? Boy, there, there she is coming out of heaven, just like that bride coming through a door and walking down the aisle and all her glory and all her beauty, every eye fixed on that bride. You know, you've met, maybe been in one of those moments. That's what it's going to be like when the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven. And, and it's, an, it's this incredible city that, again, it runs off of, it is supported by the glory of God. Now, how do we imagine what that might mean, what that might look like, feel like. Well, just think of what mankind has done that has made you say, wow. I mean, it's it's easier for us to think about the glory of man. And in this moment, I'm not using that in any kind of sinful pride, arrogance. No, there's, there's things we have done, and I would add, God gave us the ability to do, right? But there's things mankind has built, accomplished, and done. And when you and I see that, we go... We go, wow, that's glory. Okay, I, I've, I've been, I don't know, everybody here, where all, all you've been. I have been a, a city person uh, m- most of my life. I was born in Phoenix. I grew up in Houston. I've lived in Dallas. I've been to uh, every one of these cities multiple times. L.A., San Diego, San Francisco, Boston, uh, Denver, Chicago, Miami. And, and every one of those cities has something that's, going to feel good, that's going to be fun, that's going to make you say, wow, that wasn't very good, but y'all must be country folk. I get it. That's fine. Pigs and cows, they make you say, wow, too. You know, but there's something about every one of these cities that we go, wow, man, that's really cool. But I tell you something, for me, there's nothing like one city. Uh, in this world, well, in this world, yes, but in America, there's nothing like New York City. I don't know how many times you have to go there before you stop looking like a tourist. I mean, it's just hard not to go for a long time, walk around like this. I mean, it's just, it's just so, so big for forever and ever. It's just the concrete and it's just overwhelming all that, that, that New York City is. Of course, there's a, every city will have a, a, a variety of things that identify by it. For a, a long time now, New York City has been identified with the Empire State Building. You know, it was built in 1931. So if this summer you get to travel to New York and you go to the top of the building, it's just almost 100 years old. Just a little warning there when you get up to the top. Uh, from the top of the Empire State Building, 1,453 feet. Isn't that cute? We measure things in feet down here. It's 1,453 feet high. On a clear day, you can see 80 miles On a clear day from the top of the Empire State Building, you can see Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New Jersey. New Jersey's not real hard. That's just on the air side there. But you can see all of those things. I mean, you look at that and you say, wow. You want to know something really crazy? The tallest building in the world today is almost twice the height of the Empire State Building. 
tallest building today is over 2,700, but still, it's just feet. How cute. Little ants running down here, building stuff that's feet high. Okay, you got a little perspective of how in awe we are of those buildings, and yet we're being delivered a new city that is 1,400 miles. For, you know, you, you, you can hear that and just go, wow, that's big, and press on. But, but stop and think through the math of that a little bit. It's 1,400 miles from Maine to Florida. It, it would be 1,400 miles from the East Coast, well, well beyond Colorado. We're talking about a city whose footprint is over two-thirds the United States of America. This, this city that we're going to live in, that would be a little place we call home is two-thirds the size of the United States. And that's not the hard part to understand, is it? Because just as wide and long as it is, that's how... I don't get that. I, I don't know what that means. You know, I've known that for a long time, and I, I, don't, I don't even think about how 14... Well, it seems like a long way up. And it dawned on me the other day, you know, if you've been on a plane, usually you fly at what, 30,000 feet? That's five miles. In our airliners, we're looking at the earth way down there. We're only five miles up in the, up in the air. I, I, I Googled, do you know, there's not actual agreement on when outer space begins. The, the, the lowest is 100 kilometers or 62 miles. At, at 62 miles, outer space begins. And I would tell you why they said that, but I didn't understand it and you wouldn't either. So 100 kilometers. Now NASA, because that's where the real answers are, right? I've got a son-in-law that works for NASA, so I have to say that. NASA actually multiplies that by six. They say 600 uh, 600 kilometers up into the air. Well, that'd be like 350, 400 miles up in the air. That's when outer space begins. You know, I think we're at a point, it doesn't really matter now when outer space begins, does it? It's 1,400 miles. So this city that we're going to live in is is a footprint roughly over two-thirds the size of the United States, and it goes 1,400 miles into outer space, which actually perfectly does fit my understanding of what we'll be doing in heaven, because the gates are always open. Don't think you're trapped here. You're not, you're not trapped in the new Jerusalem. You, you come and go. We'll, we'll enjoy all of God's creation on the earth. And I think the beauty of heaven is we're going to get to enjoy all of God's creation throughout the universe. Because all of the universe teaches us something about God. What case would you make that says, oh, no, we don't go anywhere in heaven. We just sit there and float in the new Jerusalem. There's, no, there's nothing like that. I, we'll, we'll be going all over the universe. And since the city gets us 1,400 miles up there, we got a good running start. You know, my guess is it's not necessarily a building or buildings that go that high. It, this, I'm just guessing out loud, okay? Probably this city's at multiple levels. There, there, there's levels to this city that would go 1,400 miles up. I, it's, it's crazy. I, I don't know. And with as many questions as that might raise in your mind and my mind about what this city is and what that looks like to be 1,400 miles up, did you notice how much of this passage is about a wall? Is about a wall. See, a wall does absolutely nothing for us. Our cities don't have walls. A wall is meaningless. As a matter of fact, we're as far from them on a wall as we are with them on a sea. 
For, for us, seas and oceans have very positive feelings, and a wall means nothing. For them, a sea had a very bad connotations, and the wall was everything. You and I, walk, today in America, our cities are usually recognized by their tallest building right? Or some other feature that really stands out in every city in the world, not just Jerusalem, not just Israel, every city of the world at this time, the city was known for its wall. That was your security. That, that was your peace in that time. So the wall was everything. And so it, when you understand that, it makes a lot of sense then why they would spend so much time on the wall. And obviously you want a good sturdy wall. This one, it doesn't tell us how high it is. It says it's massively high. Yeah, I'm going to take that that's probably true. I would assume the wall is somewhat proportionate to the city that goes 1,400 miles up. But it does tell us that it's 216 feet thick, which means the gate, because a gate is a passage through the wall, right? So if the wall is 216 feet thick, that means this pearl is 216 feet in circumference. Anybody want that one? I mean, a 200, again, I want to see the oyster that did that. You know, this is, so we've got, and by the way, when I read through all those gems, you may have, may have thought, I don't recognize that one. I don't think I've heard of that one. There's a couple stones there that we haven't heard of. There are a couple stones there that we haven't identified. So either we don't know what the passage is talking about or God's got some new gems for us that we never even thought about looking at. But do you see that when this wall is described, folks, the opulence, the extravagance, the luxury of the city that we're going to live in? I mean, see it for what it is. Don't make something else out of it. See it for what it is. Understand it for what it is. So that that is... The, that's. That's this little place we call home. That's our home. That's where we're living for all eternity. That's where we'll come and go from as we go out to the rest of the new earth and and all over the, the universe. Second thing we see in heaven, folks, it's about the presence of God. And, you know, with all of this that was just described for us, what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. God makes heaven heaven what it is. Well, you really see that there in verses five and six. I mean, Jesus, I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the end. What, what are you looking for in life? Jesus is it. He's the beginning of that happiness. He's the end of that happiness. He's the beginning of that justice. He's the end of that justice. He's the beginning of that peace. He's the end of that peace. He is everything. And you notice it says there, there's no, te- there's no temple. There's no sanctuary. Now, we don't need a temple or a sanctuary because the Bible teaches what's the sanctuary? Right here, this body. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. But again, understanding how physical we are, God made us physical people in a physical world. He knows we have this mindset that when I approach that building, I'm getting closer to the presence of God. I'm I'm getting closer to, well, it, it won't even be. I mean, gosh, I thought in heaven there'd be like the biggest church in the world, right? The biggest temple, the biggest sanctuary. No, there's no need for that because there's nowhere you can go in the entire universe where you're not in the same near proximity to God. You never move anywhere where he's not right there with you. And he can do that for all of us because he's amazing. He's everywhere present and that will become central for all of us in heaven. He is everywhere. It's God's presence that makes heaven what it is. Number three, there's no bad stuff in heaven. 
There's no bad stuff in heaven. As a matter of fact, there's a list of seven things that are, are, are in this passage that are not in heaven. Look at that up there. No sea. Now, again, I've told you I'm not 100% sure how to take that. I lean toward not actual salt water, but an issue of chaos and confusion. There's no death, no grief, no crying, no pain, no night, no curse. And I love that last line that I wrote. And nothing that causes these things. Even though I wrote that, and got it up there, the more I kept studying and working on this passage, I thought, you know, I'm not sure that last line's right. I, I hate to tell you, I, I'm wrong sometimes. I've been wrong twice today and one time in 1997. Um, so what, the reason I wrote that, like take death. Okay, well, what causes death? Aging, disease, and crime, murder. A couple of other things maybe, but those would be the main. Well, none of those things are going to be there. Death's not happening because none of the things that cause death are happening. But then as I, I got past that, I thought, wait a minute, grief. Nothing in heaven that causes me grief. What causes you grief? It might be an inanimate object. It might be a, a, a figure out there in the world. But for most of us, the thing that we cry at night on our pillow, it's people. People cause us grief. And some of those people we actually like. Not maybe at the moment that we're crying, but we actually do like these people. We actually do love some of these people, even though they've ripped our heart apart. And some of them might be in heaven. Well, how can heaven be heaven if that person that causes nothing but tears and pain for me, how can that be heaven if they're there? Oh, folks, that's the good news. Next time you're crying over that person, next time you're in pain over that person, there is a day when you can look at them and there will be no grief. There will be no tears. There will be no pain. That will all get corrected in heaven so that it, it, you're, we're, we're going to get a holy sanctified washing of our memory and all, and all of that that happens. So, so no bad stuff in heaven and mostly the stuff that causes bad stuff. And, and then lastly, this is a hard one, not everyone. That's what we see in heaven, that, that not everyone is there. And, and that's a struggle for some of us, maybe many of us. We, we uh, maybe think that's not fair of God, maybe not loving of God. Hey, some things on this list, uh, murdering, well, yeah, I mean, we all kind of, yeah, the, the murderers, really bad people, but liars? Come on, I mean, really? You do, you, I mean, you don't get into heaven over, over a lie <laughs> as if we told one. You know, and we would say that that doesn't seem fair. But think of these not just as actions that you and I have committed. Think of them more as character qualities. You know, I've got bad news for you. That's not the whole list of what keeps you out of heaven. It's a much longer list than that. But I've got the good news. You can commit it every one of those that is listed there and still be in heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ washes. The blood of Jesus Christ pays for every one of those sins. Now, when does that get applied to my life? It's when I turn from my sin and self and I turn to Christ. Right? We know that. Now, there would be some of us. Who, who say, I, you know, I did that once in my life. I was, I was eight years old. I was 18. I was, I was 48. I, I turned from my sin and 
self. But those things are still very much a part of our lives. And I guess that's the operative word, very much. What does very much mean? Because as believers, we still sometimes tell a lie, right? You don't have to nod your head. You are. You do. So what's... But there's a difference, though. Isn't there, isn't there a difference between telling a lie and being characterized as a liar? And so when you look at that list or, or a longer list as a person who's turned from sin and self and turned to Christ, I'm not perfect, but those things should no longer characterize our lives. I mean, we do believe coming to Christ should make a difference, right? I should be different. I didn't say perfect. I didn't say I never sin again, but... That there should be some kind of change because I'm now saying this is no longer my love. This is no longer my identity. This is no longer how I'm going to deal with pain or pleasure or revenge. I'm not going to use these things anymore. They're no longer going to characterize my life, but Christ is going to now characterize my life. Well, if that's genuinely happened, then my life should look different. So you may tell, our, we may tell ourselves, you may tell yourself, I've come to Christ, I'm a Christian, but if those things are still character, I'm not saying you did that once, I'm saying if those things still characterize your life, you should really challenge whether you've turned from, to Christ or not. You think, why would somebody not do that? Why would somebody, are, are, it, it's pride, there's just, I mean, that, the pride is what's going on before every other sin. Pride is what's happening that makes that entire list possible. I love myself more than I love God. I love my way of getting revenge more than I love God. I love my way of finding pleasure more than I love God. I love my way of identifying myself more than I love God. I love God and I want to go to his heaven, but I love this. I'm more committed to this. I'm not turning away from it. I'll say something, but I'm not really turning from that. It's the word Jesus used over and over was repent. I'm not repenting from these things. I'm just claiming that I have this also. Now, while you and I would look at some people, because we love some, we, we love some corrupt people and some immoral people. We may love some murderers. I don't know. You may have a murderer in your life that you do love, you do care about. Uh, cowards, uh, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers. We're all idol worshipers, by the way. We've all struggled with that as much as lying. We might, we might have and think, gosh, you know, I mean, I know they've got that issue, but other than that, they're just really an, a nice person. Why, it just doesn't seem fair of God to not let them in. But remember, they embrace the character. If they come into heaven, they've not actually turned to Christ. They still embrace the characteristics of those sins. Then guess what? Heaven is no longer heaven. Folks, heaven is like God. It's not like sin. A lot of times when I share the, the, the gospel, I know some of you have heard me say this a, a lot of different times. This is a phrase I get right out of this. We're not like God and his heaven. We're not like it. Something has to change so that I cannot just be there, but so that heaven remains heaven. If, if, if I go and mess heaven up, if I go and make heaven filled with people like me, it's not heaven anymore. It's the same crappy place I live in now. I don't want this. 
I don't want the pain. I don't want the grief. I don't want the tears. I don't want the disappointments. I don't want the cancellations. I don't want any of that anymore. That means I don't belong there. But by the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, it's not an issue of God being mean. God having a real strict rule list that you've got to meet. It's God trying to offer you heaven. And something radically different has to change in you for you to become. And the word used here is citizen. Your, your name's actually on the, on the registrar. And that's not for taxes. That's the good news. A book of life. Your name's in there. You're a citizen of this place. And the citizens of this place have the character quality of their God and their Savior, not the sin that they used to use to accomplish life. If your life's characterized by that list, you need to ask yourself what it is you're counting on. What, 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 is, what has changed? What is your love? Are you growing in a God-likeness, in a heaven-likeness? Are you growing in a likeness to the place you're moving? Or are you still holding on to, to the old? To the old. You know, in church, we obviously, sin's a real bad word, and we talk about turning from sin. But, folks, the fact is, sin is what is real to us. Heaven, not so much. I can't, I can't, can't grasp heaven, but my sin, that helps me accomplish life. We love our sin. And we might be really nice people and very good people while we hold on to that sin. But that sin makes us absolutely nothing like God And nothing like his heaven. And the good news is, (laughs) if I want that heaven, the challenge is not for you to go out there and be better. Because you can't do it. Your, your, Your challenge is by faith to learn to turn from this that you hold on to desperately. And, and hold on to Christ like that. Hold on to him like that. And when you do... God has for you heaven, not just a reward for the future, but a very present target that gets us, motivates us, encourages us to obey, even when there's no immediate payoff in this world. That makes obedience the most wonderful, beautiful thing, even when there's a cost to it in the right here and the right now. Amen? It's heaven. It's real. Go look at a map. Look at two-thirds of the United States. Look up and think, I won't be able to see the top. That's our home. That's our home. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and we thank you for heaven. Thank you for letting us know what you're like, for letting us know what heaven is like. And God, would you give me a hate for my sin? And give me a greater love and a desire for you. May I hate my sin. Because I see that it's what I love more than you. And it will ultimately only provide for me death. And separation from you. 
God, may we want to be like you and like your heaven. And, and may we realize we have an opportunity every day this week in every relationship, in every situation, in every promotion, in every cancellation to demonstrate the character quality of being like you. And may we do just that. In the power of Jesus Christ, walking in the Spirit. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.